0: Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us. Welcome to the program.
1: It will be a hard life, a life where you will have to make sacrifices, a life where you will have to go against the crowd, a life when everyone wants to go that way and drag you along with it. And you say, I'm not going there, I'm following Christ and I'm going this way. Even if I'm the only one to walk that way, it will be a hard life, Jesus said.
0: In our day-to-day lives, there is much going on. There are always issues and things to consider. So many decisions to make that may help or hinder our lives going forward. We've got to get them right. As humans, we were created with the capacity to choose and decide. The question is, to whom are we listening for the wisdom we need to make good decisions about life itself? It's a risky business. Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his five-part series titled The Risk Series with The Risk of Eternity.
1: We're looking and continuing to look at The Risk Series. And over the past four instalments of this series, I have expressed to you my pastoral aim in, in going through this series. I want to express that again. I want to tell you perhaps this is my biggest pastoral aim, not just because of this message, but because of why I'm on this planet. Because it would be an absolute tragedy for me and for you, and I'm not sure who would be a bigger tragedy for, if you come to church regularly you do the things that we would expect of you and yet you come to the end of your life and you never knew God, that would be a tragedy and I'm not sure if the tragedy would be mine or yours to a greater extent because I would think how is it possible that I have preached and prayed and fasted and sought God and done what I've done and yet still not moved you to the Savior that would be a tragedy for me that I would carry maybe throughout eternity although I look at God's Word and it says that may not be the case but it would still from this perspective this side of eternity that would be perhaps my biggest heartache. So today I want to share with you in a way that we secure what you should know about coming to know Christ. And we want to put this in the framework of risk. We've been looking at the risk that's associated with life and we'll we'll see these as as we Just recap very briefly, life is full of risks. And the reason this is pastorally important, discipleship-wise important, is because there are those who might teach, no not might, they do teach, that if you know Christ, you will not go through suffering, you will not go through want or lack or humiliation or persecution or... Any of those negative things, you will not experience pain or suffering, that you will be someone who has a a direct contact with God in a way that he would make sure that your life would be comfortable and easy. And if that's the Christianity that you've been raised under, life is going to really disappoint you. Because reality says that is not the way God has ordained life to work. The greatest example of that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ experienced all of those negative things I've just listed. Want, lack, humiliation, pain, suffering. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you become a Christian, that will be your life. Not saying that at all. But I am saying if that should come your way it is no reason for you to shake your fist at God and say you don't work for me because if you start with the basis of Christianity is what God will do for you, you are starting from the wrong base. That is not right. So we need to understand life is full of risks, sometimes those risks will mean you lose, sometimes it will mean you win. I was with A businessman this week who his business has gone unbelievably well like never in his wildest dreams did he expect business to be so good and he expressed the deep concern he has now for his soul that it will contaminate him spiritually he's a a man who loves God and he's deeply concerned that it will ruin him That's a great concern. I think many of us would find adversity and setback, failure and humiliation far easier to manage than unbelievable success. Now if you can figure out how to maintain your relationship with God and be successful, more power to you. But it's a very rare man or woman who can. Risk. This is how we're defining risk. Something that you attempt with the hope of success, but with the possibility of failure. Now, the reason I think this is important for us to appreciate this is what we mean by risk is because if you have this concept of Christianity that you pray and God must do what you tell him to do, thank you for laughing then you are going to be like some of the people that I spoke about last Sunday night when I talked about Christian celebrities who have deconverted. And many of them have said they deconverted because they prayed and nothing happened. I mean, after all, they told God what to do and he didn't do it. So he gets an F on his report. But if we approach life that prayer is actually meant to be a means by which we express our surrender to God and we intercede to him on behalf of others and we pray to him that we would be kept in his intimate presence, I guarantee you those prayers will be answered. I guarantee it. I stake my life on it. There's two types of risk takers. We've seen this and we've seen that scripture describes them both. First is the impetuous one, the one who just does it without thought without preparation without thinking then after the impetuous there is the one who considers their options they think about things so they're the two types of risk takers and we've seen this in scripture that it talks about be considered do your planning do all that in order to safeguard and minimize risk and so now we're going to look at this instalment dealing with the risk of eternity and it is a risk and we all face it. Not only do we all face it, even those who are not here face this risk. It's a risk of peril, it's a risk that could lead to our utter demise for eternity and to put it in a silly way, eternity is for a long time. It will never be altered and here's what i think we need to know according to jesus christ you only have this life to settle your eternal destiny this is this is something that became very very personal to me when a very very close part of my family died and it involved me trying to navigate with those family members that are part of the Jehovah's Witness movement who believe that God would never send anyone to hell, God would never condemn anyone for eternity and that in fact all people who die without surrendering to him in this life will get a second chance anyway. And I want to show you now that Jesus Christ did not teach that. He inspired this book that we're about to read. He breathed these words into existence and the person who wrote them down wrote this. And it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, that's his return, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's Hebrews 9.27 and verse 28. So the Bible makes no room for reincarnation. It makes no room for second chance. You get this life, this is it. And we'll see why God would do that in a moment, I hope. So according to Jesus, the risk of jeopardizing your eternal life destiny is very, very great. Very great. I'm haunted by these words, I hope you are too, I hope it changes the way you see people outside of this building and maybe even inside this building and that's my pastoral concern That there are people who come to this church maybe week after week after month after year and you still don't know Christ. So, Jesus said this, these are the haunting words. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, which is a word picture for an eternity, not with God, the source of life. And those who enter by it are many. Do you hear what he's saying? Most people will choose not to have their eternity secured in the presence of God. The source of all love, the source of all peace, the source of all hope and fulfilment. They will intentionally choose to say to him, No, get lost, I'll save myself, thanks very much. And Jesus says they will go to eternal destruction. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So I want you to understand if you have not crossed that line from trusting in yourself to trusting in the only one who can be trusted for your eternal security, you've got to know this. The moment you cross that line, your life may not get easier. In fact, according to what Jesus just said, it won't. It will be a hard life. A life where you'll have to make sacrifices. A life where you'll have to go against the crowd. A life when everyone wants to go that way and drag you along with it and you say, I'm not going there, I'm following Christ and I'm going this way. Even if I'm the only one to walk that way, it will be a hard life, Jesus said. Jesus at one point preached to 6,000. He gave them a very similar message to this and it says that nearly all 6,000 people got up and left and said, we're not going to listen to this. The disciples, this is John chapter 6, his remaining disciples said, everyone's left. And Jesus says, are you going to leave too? Remember what Peter said? And go where? Who has the words of life? No one but you. So this is really important. So if you're playing on your phone right now, put it down, turn it off and listen. Jesus said this, Now I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now I've put that in white font, but in your Bible, it's in red. If you've got one of these new Bibles, that puts the words of Christ in red. In other words, Jesus said this, you may not like it, but this is what he said. And he said it because he was thinking about this... How can you tell if someone really cares about you? Here's the option. Option A, they always tell you what you want to hear. Option B, they tell you what you don't necessarily want to hear, but it's the truth. Which one really cares? Jesus told this story to drive home the risk of eternity. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple uh, A sign of wealth and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day at his gate was a poor man named notice his name is Lazarus not Lazarus who desired to be fed so this is the poor man what was his name Lazarus thank you to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table moreover even the dogs came and licked his sores the poor man died and was carried, this is a beautiful expression, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Hmm, no angels. And in Hades, the old Greek word for hell, being in torment. Now I want you to just notice this. Who's tormenting him? Because I've had atheists write on some of my Uh, website posts about some of the things I say about here's how we know there's a God And and I've had atheists say I could never follow a God who would willingly torment people for eternity after they die but notice this who's doing the tormenting he is in torment what's the torment it's at least now he's got to live with eternal regret He cannot change. He cannot get out of there. His life choices are what he now lives with the consequences of for eternity. And the thought of that is torment for him. He has in one sense condemned himself to hell. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Now, I I read this and I go, Who does this guy think he is? He's still bossing and oppressing the poor guy who begged for a crumb from his table and even in the other side of the grave in the eternal dimension. He still demands that he's boss. What the heck? See his heart was never transformed and after this life it can never be. For I am in anguish in this flame. The torment that he was experiencing was like fire, like flame he says. But Abraham said, child remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you're in anguish I wonder what Lazarus was thinking at least I remained faithful to God I didn't have much I died sick, hungry, alone but I loved God I love God and now he's living in that comfort for eternity and what Lazarus may not know is that this wasn't all there was something much much better coming his way very soon and besides all this Abraham said to the rich man who's not even named all this between us and you a a great chasm has been fixed In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And so if you are someone who has been tainted by the Catholic doctrine of purgatory, just note that there's no getting out. They are not able. Coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And none may cross from there to us. And he said... thinks he's still boss I beg you father to send him Lazarus send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment but Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said no father Abraham But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he, Abraham, said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Wow. And Abraham is... Christ has voiced Abraham to say... The condition of your heart is the same condition as their heart and nothing's going to change them unless they're prepared to change their heart. Are you? And I think this is where we as believers begin to develop a concern for our neighbours who maybe have never turned to Christ and here's how our concern manifests. We pray for them, we pray for them, we ask God to have his way in their life. We ask and seek God to move in their hearts so that they will surrender to God. And I'm going to challenge you to do that. Here's what Jesus said and I hope you get this. Jesus said this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world in this life? But he forfeits his soul and if I could point out the context is For eternity. We've already seen that. We've seen that in his story of the rich man and Lazarus, that when Lazarus is condemned to live with the choices he made in this life, and Lazarus is going is, is in a place of it's actually a place of holding. And after Christ died, that place was emptied out and taken into paradise, which is what he said to the thief on the cross beside him. See what Jesus is saying here? You could have all the success in the world in this life and not know God, not have, not have received his forgiveness, not, not have turned to him in surrender and you'll lose your soul for eternity. What shall a man give in return for his soul? The point is if he's got all this money can he buy his way out? And the answer is don't be stupid. Don't be stupid and there are people who are living stupidly because they think they're okay with God. Then it'll all work out in the end, it'll all be right, i will be fine. I'll have a word to him when I get to the gate of heaven and all will be fine. I brought this water bottle up because I want to use this as a prop. You see some people say, no, no, I, I, I talk to God, I I... You know, there was a time then when I was looking for a parking space and I said, oh God, help me to park my car. So, you know, I talked to him. I, I was in trouble once. I thought I was going to die. I cried out to God, God help me and, and now I'm alive. So, yeah, I, I talked to God and, and God and me, we get along really well. Here's the problem with that, if that's your, the extent of your relationship with God, if it is. You could tell me that this water bottle is the God who created the universe. You could tell me that this water bottle is the God who sent His Son into the world to die for your sins. And you could think that when we talk about the God who created the universe and the God who sent His Son into the world to take your place and go to hell for you, which He did, He went into an eternal realm and descended into the place of the dead, which the Bible uses the word hell... And you could tell me that this water bottle is the same person that we're talking about and you and I would not be talking about the same person. You would be completely wrong. And this, this should, I hope for Christians, help us to realise that just because someone worships a God doesn't mean they are worshipping the God. It's why Kim and I pray every day, we fast regularly, For the salvation of our family, our family members who worship a false god. And I hope you will join me in praying for your family members who do the same. Because Jesus said this in John chapter 17 verse 3. This is eternal life. I don't even need to read it. I know this one. It's burned into my soul. This is eternal life. That they know you and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's eternal life. And when the Bible says to know, it doesn't mean know about, it doesn't mean have a knowledge of, it doesn't mean you went to a carol service and now it's, that's done. It means you come to know him to the point where you love him. Know and love. You can't separate them when it comes to our understanding of God. So let me just drive home what we've, I hope, looked at now and I hope we understand. The decisions you make in this life determine your eternal destiny in the next. That's what I hope you've heard. The ancients, the people of long ago, realised this very early on. I've become incredibly impressed with just how knowledgeable the people of long, long, long ago were. And we think they hardly knew anything, and I'm just really impressed with how much they actually did know about the spiritual realm. The ancient writers said this, and this is recorded in Proverbs twice. There's not many proverbs stated twice, but this one is. There is a way that seems right to a man, a way that seems right to a person, but its end, its end is the way of death. So you got to understand. Hopefully, you'll get this in a moment. That when the Bible speaks of life, it's a connection with the life source. The one who gives life. It's a connection. That's living. That's eternal life. When the Bible speaks of the word death, it's separation from that. And one day you will physically die. In other words, you will be separated from your body. James chapter 2. And that is called physical death. But you will still be alive. But you will be dead if you aren't connected spiritually to God. By coming to Him and turning your life over to Him, asking Him to forgive you and receiving His free gift of His Son to come into your life. So this is what I want to conclude with, just so that we understand this. Tony said that he he hopes he's theologically correct about his statement this morning over the offering. And so now I want to give why we take theology really seriously. We need the theology to understand who we are. What is mankind? What does it mean to be a person, a human being? When God created mankind, He created beings that were unique. Not like anything else. Mankind is unique from all other creations in these ways. Note this. Number one, mankind, not the animals, not the butterflies, not the polar bears, not the whatever you want to insert there. None of, no, no one and nothing is like you. You are unique. You are created in the image of God. We, as the human race, are unique. This is really important. Here's the first thing you need to know about the image of God. It gives each of us unique status. That's the very first thing about the image of God, unique status. You have the possibility of having a relationship with God that animals and trees and fish do not have. Secondly, it gives us the ability to do what God can do, which is communicate, and here's the word that you might need to think about, conceptually. The very fact that I've got these shapes on the screen and you can read them and get them, that means I've put a concept up here. It's a concept. Each of these words is a concept and you know what they mean. If a, if, I, I, I know because I've tried this. If you put your cat in front of a screen like this, the cat will not see words. F. W. Boreham wrote a, a very famous essay and it's this, a cat cannot see the king on the throne. You think, why would someone write an essay about that? Because he's making this point. When a cat sees the king in all his regalia, with his crown on, sitting on the throne, ruling the empire, what does the cat see? A lap. Am I the only one who owns a cat? Secondly, well, actually let me just add to this. The, the image of God that you and I... Are created with gives us creative power that no other being in the universe possesses. We have the power to create life. You might think, well, no, cats can create life, but not souls that are immortal. Only human beings can do that. We also have a unique composition as a result of that. We are physical. We are made up of physical material and we have an immortal, immaterial, spiritual substance that enables us, mankind, to exist in a dimension beyond this dimension. Animals don't have it. Butterflies don't have it. Trees don't have it. Only humankind. And we, created in the image of God, have a unique destiny unique we are created to be in an eternal relationship with God in a book that Michael Dixon used to own but he lent it to me <laughs> written by C.S. Lewis part of the space trilogy it's called Perilandra it's, it's considered to be the best book that C.S. Lewis ever wrote it's the story of a, of a a man a professor who is a man of God who loves God and he knows God and and he is taken by God to another planet it's a space fantasy don't worry about another planet just track along with me for a moment and he's taken there just at the moment when God has created a race of people just like the race of people on earth but these people this woman that he meets, has not sinned. She has not yielded to temptation. In fact, the tempter hasn't even come there yet. And this man, Dr. Ransom is his name, he gets there as this woman is learning about the world. And to assist her in her learning, God has given her angels to teach her. And so she hears them. Dr. Ransom can't even see them. And not only that, she has an unimpeded communication with God Himself. And she's talking with God all the time. And Dr. Ransom will say something and she will pause, ponder, and say, Malildil, that's the word that she uses for God, has said that you are telling me the truth. And it's a fascinating picture. And then Satan enters the picture in the form of. Of a body that he has possessed and the battle goes where this woman is now being enticed by the tempter just as the woman first created was enticed by the tempter but now God has ensured that she won't yield to that temptation by bringing someone to that planet who can tell her no no Everything he says is a lie. And C.S. Lewis points out that Satan changed his tack. He changed his tack to say things that were mostly true. Mostly true. Very imperceptibly false. Hold that thought for a moment because I think C.S. Lewis has painted a picture of the world we are in too. Second thing that makes us unique, we are created to know and enjoy God forever. Can I tell you, coming to church should not be a sense of duty, it should be a sense of delight. Because we come to be not just with God, but we come together to be with God. And the more I've thought about God, and you've you've tracked with me this year as we went through the eight greatest true stories in the Bible, and as it occurred to me that when God populated heaven it was like unbelievably populated with quadrillions and quadrillions and quadrillions of heavenly creatures and at some point God said it's still not enough these are creatures but I want to create images of me and I want there to be billions and billions and billions of them with me for eternity and we are a part of that we're created to love and Enjoy God forever. It's actually the first statement in the Westminster Shorter Catechism of Faith. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to know and enjoy God forever. And thirdly, you were created with the capacity to choose and decide to make decisions. But, now let me come back to that episode from Perilandra, a deceptor has come into the picture. Mankind has an enemy who seeks to deceive all people, including you. Including you. Note this. This is how it happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent... We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Ha! You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. In other words, he's saying, God's a deceiver. I'm telling you the truth. And you will be like God. Well truth be told she was already like God but he used it as if it was something God was holding from the woman knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden because they had now rejected God as God and made themselves their own God and they hide from God but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you and he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you that you were naked Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. This is what sin does, it blame shifts, right? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the snake and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on it's an oldie never fails the devil continues to deceive mankind and this is what we need to know there is a type of death that is not just physical death it's spiritual death and the bible calls that the second death the second death blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection that's your salvation that's having your sins forgiven ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 blessed are those it says whose whose sins are forgiven because they they can have new life from god we read in ephesians chapters 2 verses 1 to 5 but this is what it says in revelation the closing book of the bible blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years and by the way when the Bible uses the expression thousand especially thousand years it means not meant to be counted and here's the question will Christ ever not be reigning of course not So when it says he reigns for a thousand years it means he will reign forever but it also says we will reign with him as well. Here's the point, this physical death is just the first death that we will all encounter and it may be the only one if you know the one who saves your soul. If you know the one who can forgive you and give you eternal life so that you can live beyond this life with God in eternal bliss and security with him he is a good God and I want you to come to love him would you please stand let's worship this good God a risk it's the risk that comes from not securing your eternity the risk is that you base your life on the enemy's lies or on the creator's truth there's your choice and if you are basing it on the lie of the enemy that says you just have to be religious, maybe go to Christmas and Easter services and you'll be fine if being religious was what it's all about then Jesus being a carpenter would have gone around knocking up churches and told people just to go in there but he didn't if being religious was all it took he could have gone around with a communion tray and said here take my body the bread and my blood the grape juice but he didn't it's not a matter of being religious it's a matter of not being self-religious and turning to him Would you pray with me now? Father, for those who are joining with us online, those who are present here, I pray that the Spirit of God would continue to speak into their soul right now and point them to the Saviour. Lord, may a prayer arise in every heart and may that prayer say, God, I surrender to you. I give you my life. I give you my life. Please take my guilt and my shame take it away you pray a prayer like that you can know the forgiveness of God as you turn to Him He will help you to follow Him not the crowd Father I pray for us as a church my pastoral prayer is that Father everyone who is a part of this flock would know the Saviour and walk in the footsteps of the Saviour that we would come to love you and to see that you are good to us. Now, Lord, may we know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you.
0: As we've heard tonight, as humans, we were created with the capacity to choose and decide. But mankind has an enemy who seeks to deceive everyone. Are you risking your eternity based on your enemy's lies or on your creator's truth? Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.